Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. Hispanic women have a better maternity health rate than white women for, for you know, so maybe, maybe it's not systemic racism. But, but I've, I've heard this, and, and, and I said facetiously one time, somebody probably upset them a little bit when I said it, I said, so what, what are they doing, murdering them? Because you see, when you say, well, the reason is systemic racism, to me, that's like the ghost in the machine explanation. You can't put your finger on anything. All you know is there's a disparity in outcome, and therefore, it must be that. But you know what's just interesting to me? That they don't ever apply that to abortion. 37% of the abortions performed in America are performed on black women, but somehow that's not racial. Well, that's because the devil's fooled everybody into believing that somehow, you know, abortions uh, and the killing of unborn babies in New York, more black babies are aborted than born. But somehow that's okay. Well, no, that's not a racial issue. And so, you know, I would hear that and I would go, hmm. And they, they have the concept of implied bias. So it's implied bias. You know what that means? People don't know they're biased, but they are. So just kind of inherently, a nurse doesn't care as much about a black mother as she does about a white mother, and so she just doesn't attend to her the same, or a doctor doesn't attend to her the same. You can't prove that, but it's just kind of there. I'm always skeptical of those boneheaded explanations because to me, they don't mean anything. Well, in my research for this message, I found out what the real answer is, and this is the answer that nobody wants to talk about. According to the Child and Family Research Partnership at the University of Texas, quote, absent fathers are three times more likely to have children with health complications as early as three months after birth. They are also more likely to have children born underweight. Perhaps not surprisingly, these health problems affect more than just newborns of birth absent fathers. They affect mothers too. Moms abandoned by the child's father, are more likely to experience complications during pregnancy or at the time of birth. Ah. So it's not just systemic racism. Well, what community has the highest number of abandonment by fathers? The black community. But you see, nobody wants to talk about this. You know why? Because that's something you could do something about yourself. And it's so much easier to say, yeah, those white folks. Now, you know, it's systemic racism. How about knucklehead men taking responsibility for the women they've impregnated and doing their job as fathers? I don't have any patience with that mess. It goes on to say, quote, stress imposed on the mother by a lack of father involvement during pregnancy contributes to prenatal health complications that in turn compromise newborn health. Yeah, see, nobody wants to talk about this because that, this is not politically correct. It's scientifically true. And look, and, and all of us know with common sense, anybody who is sick being medically treated in any way who has a strong support system around them is more likely to fare better than somebody who doesn't. Now, you can explain that all kinds of ways, but it's just a fact. And I don't think it has anything to do with race. 
In fact, uh, Sister Valida told me, and I didn't know this. She told me this years later, but my father was in a nursing home right here in Chesapeake. And, uh, and I would visit my father every day. If I was in town, I was going to see my father, period. Nothing was going to stop me from going to see him. And, and Sister Valida told me, said, Bishop, you know, they used to talk about you. They say, you know, make sure Mr. Jackson's straight because, you know, his son's coming. <laughs> and I had no idea. He said, but yeah, they said his son, you know, his son and his son's going to be looking at them hard. <laughs> I mean, but think about the, parent, the person who doesn't have someone looking at for them, looking out for them, advocating for them, letting people know that they're loved. Well, if you've got a young girl who comes from a broken family and the, and the, and the man has, who's impregnated her has abandoned her and she's kind of trying to navigate her, the healthcare system and she's young anyway and doesn't know much, well, the fact of the matter is she is under far greater stress than somebody who's married, her husband's there, her family's there, they're watching, they're, 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 you know, he's going through all the prenatal uh, exercises and all the things that you gotta do. Of course that person's gonna fare better. And just like for men in prison, when you correct for broken families, and you know the number of white men in prison and the number of black men in prison from two parent families is very low and equal. Very few men in prison come from two parent families, very few. So here again, studies show that even, even uh, 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 the, 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 the pregnancy process is affected by the absence of the father. So it starts from really from the moment of conception. So uh, look, so God established relationship with Adam and he built into us that need. And without that need, we're simply not going to be healthy people, uh, except by the power of God intervening in our lives and, and helping us. Um, in fact, you all know my story. I mean, I was raised in foster care and I could, you know, I, I tell people I've been on both sides of this. I knew what it was to be without my father raising me and in my life in any significant way and what it was like to be with my father raising me. And it's like night and day. I mean, it is like night and day. And I went from being a wild kid running the streets to basically being a scholar who was home when I was supposed to be home because I knew my father was not going to play. And my foster parents, God bless them. I mean, I, I really believe particularly my foster mother, Miss Rebecca Molette. I named my middle daughter after her. I believe she loved me, but she couldn't control me. She just couldn't. Once I got of age, boy, go out there, I'm gonna get a switch. Yeah, right, Phew. I was gone. And I would li literally negotiate with them. And they would, they would try to catch me and they couldn't catch me. And so finally I'd tire them out and they would say, i say, well, I'll come home if, if I'm not gonna get a beating. And finally they'd be huffing about, <sighs> okay, okay, come on home. And I'd walk, you know, a few feet away. And once I was clear, everything was all set. I'm all set until the next time. Go out there in the shed kitchen. We're gonna, I'm going to be out there and whoop you. I'd go out the back door, go over the fence and go on about my business. They couldn't control me. But I tell you what, my father could. Because when my father told me to do something, he got that look in his eye. And you know, my father told me one time, he said, son, 
And I, he proved this because, you know, I used to race him when he when he he would visit with me from time to time. And then he, when I went to live with him, I, I, my father was still relatively young and he could, he could outrun me. And he would tell me, son, don't forget, I can outrun you. And if you run, it's going to be worse when I catch you. So unlike them, I couldn't even run. <laughs> I remember one time I thought I was going to get it and I turned around. I thought to run. I said, no, it'll only be worse. <laughs> Let me face the music. <laughs> but look, God established relationship with Adam, and then he established, established his order. In Genesis 2, verse 15 and through 17, it says the following. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Commanded the man. See, Adam, I'm your father. You are my son. I love you. Adam, you will do what I tell you to do. He, he didn't make suggestions. He didn't say, can we negotiate this? He said, he commanded the man. Look, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Adam, if you disobey me, there will be consequences. That's part of the role of fatherhood. For children to know that there are consequences to disobedience. You can't raise children without that. Now, people can talk about what the best you know, way is to, to create those consequences. And of course, we got a big debate now on whether corporal punishment is ever justified. I've always taught our churches, as I've ministered throughout the years, that corporal punishment certainly should be a last resort and it should not be used with anger. It should be used not to get your frustrations out. It should be used to teach the child the lesson you want to teach them. So therefore, it should be done calmly, not because you're trying to vent. But the word of God says, spare the rod, spoil the child. The word of God says it is okay and that it can be done without abuse. Amen? To teach lessons. And I, look, and here again, parents don't want to do that. That's your choice. I mean, you, you feel you can succeed teaching your children. My wife and I said, if we had it to do it over again, we would use the word of God a lot more. We would sit down and read the word of God and what it says and say, now here's why what you did is wrong. We would, we would use let the word of God correct children, amen? Because then you're getting, you're getting something into their hearts, not just the fear of the parent, but the fear of God. But nevertheless, look, a corporal punishment was used on me. I came out all right. You make the child violent. No, you don't. No, you don't. I mean, that's, that's just a myth. Look, to the extent I was violent, I was violent because I was angry about the fact that my parents were not there and I thought something was wrong with me and I wasn't listening to anybody. No, I, used, I remember saying it. Well, if my father's not here to tell me what to do, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I remember saying that. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And that was the attitude I had. And then when I went to live with my father, he taught me respect for authority. Why? Because he said, well, you will respect my authority. You will respect the authority of any adult. You will respect the authority of police officers and teachers and all of those people who are charged with overseeing you. And then if I had a problem with an adult, let me tell you something. If, I, if you were an adult and I was a child and you gave me a problem that made me feel threatened or seemed to be abusive, my father was coming to see you. 
So I didn't have to fight my battles. I didn't have to feel like, well, somebody hurts me. I've got to do something. If my father felt somebody mistreated me, he was coming to see you. I, I, I'll never forget it. Uh, we had a shop teacher. I can't remember the man's name now, but he, he was abusive. Now, he, he didn't touch me, but I saw him kick guys in the shin. Yeah. Um, I saw him, you know, literally throw guys onto the shop table and, and you know, I, I mean, strangle them. I'm serious. You know, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. So I told my father what I saw going on. And my father said to me, well, son, if he ever touches you, you let me know. And I said, OK. So one day he got a little set with me and he put his finger in my chest and did like that. Mr. Jackson. Da, 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 da. So I went home and told my father, I said, well, you told me to tell you if he ever touched me. I said he put his finger in my chest. He said, OK. My father went up there to see him. Because he, after telling him he was kicking people's shins and choking folks, my father went to see him. And I remember I was sitting in the in the principal's office. I didn't see him talk to the teacher. And I don't know where I think they arranged that. But I was sitting in the principal's office with him. And my, I heard my father say this. He said, I fight all my son's battles. He said, and if somebody here, I, I teach him to respect your authority and respect the teachers. He said, but if somebody here hurts my son, I'm coming back and I'm not coming back to talk. Now, I know you might say, ooh, but that was my father. But see what, see what assurance that gave me. I didn't have to fight teachers. I didn't have to disrespect teachers. I knew my father was going to take care of business. And you know what? I, I, I wish I could remember his name. He came to me later and apologized, the teacher. And I said, yeah, he must have talked to my daddy. Yeah, he, my daddy was no joke. He could, he could, because look, he could look at you and get you straight. And, and so, see, but, but, but on the other hand, if I, if, if I told my father that I cursed the teacher or disrespected the teacher, then I would have been in trouble. Because he would tell me, that's not your job. You have a problem with an adult. You come see me. But see, where do these young guys go who don't have fathers in the homes? I mean, they, they, they feel I'm on my own. I'll fight it out myself. So the respect that we once were taught for adults, that's gone. That is gone. I was, uh, I, when I was up, pastoring up in Boston, I watched as a gang of guys were harassing a young girl. And I mean, they were pushing her and taunting her. And it had to be five or six of them. And she was just kept, just kept walking. And they finally hemmed her in so that she could not get by them. So I walked out because I'm looking out the church window. And I walked out and I said, what's going on? And I mean, none of your business. This is, yeah, nothing. Of, I mean, you know, you know, I'm a preacher coming out. And basically, what do they care? There was a time when the preacher came into a midst of a group. When I was growing up, we say, well, reverend, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and we move on. Because we were just taught to respect authority. Oh, they, you know, ah, uh. So while they're engaging with me, she calls her father. And I looked up, and here he's coming down the street with his hand in his pocket and something bulging out. I'm thinking, uh-oh. Let me back up because I don't know what's going to happen next. Well, you know what? He came in with his little bulge and they cursed him like they found him. And so, oh, you got something? We got something, too. And these kids couldn't have been more than 14, 15, 16 years old. That's what we're facing now. 
if my, my father had heard that I talked to an adult like that, I might not have gotten out alive. I mean, it, he wasn't having it. But we're young people learning respect for authority now. Amen? Are you all hearing me? See, look, true love doesn't exist without order and accountability, does it? Not true love. True love can't just be a free-for-all. True love operates in, a, in an atmosphere of covenant and order and accountability. And that's what God is giving Adam. God is saying, I love you, you're my son, but look, there's some things I expect of you. John 14, 15, if you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. Don't tell me you love me and to do whatever you want to do. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He who has my commandments and keeps them loves me. And then in Matthew 24, 12, this passage about the end times, it says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Where there's lawlessness, there's no love. And that's why you see people walking up to to, to, to some, uh, uh, here again, some woman of, of uh, young woman, of uh, American woman, of European background, some guy walks up there and says, my boss told me you need to get on your knees and apologize to me. That's vile. That's, that's vile. There's no love in that. That's lawless. So all this disorder we're seeing, the vandalism, the, the riots, the, the, the murders, nobody wants to talk about that either. The number of people killed since this whole conflagration started when George Floyd lost his life. Tra terrible, tragic situation. But nobody talks about the fact all these other people were killed since then. Because that doesn't matter, because that doesn't fit the narrative uh, of uh, the, the Marxist political narrative that they're trying to, to sell, which is capitalism is bad, uh, America's bad, uh, all white people are white supremacists and racists and all of that. So all these black people have died since they don't really matter because the only thing that matters is the one that we can use. <sighs> you know, if I, even as a young man, done participated in some of this stuff, my, here again, my father would have slapped the snot out of me. Because, and, and, and please hear me well, hear me well. One of the reasons why I so honor my father. First of all, my father taught me, son, you earn what you get. You don't steal from people. You don't take things from other people. You don't take advantage of weak people. You don't take what doesn't belong to you, what you haven't worked for. And, and, and you know, my father was a man of his word. He taught me lying was one of the worst things you could do. You don't lie. You don't steal. You don't cheat. That was my father's ethic. And that, that, was, that was the way he raised me. And I'm not saying I, I lived that out perfectly, but I had that deeply ingrained in me. In fact, I'll tell you something. If you accuse my father of stealing a line, you better be ready to fight. Because he's probably going to fight you. Because he, my father taught me, son, men don't steal what doesn't belong to them. Not real men. People who do that are not men. And my father used to say to me, and so look, if you get out here and somebody tries to hurt you and you, you defending yourself hurt them, I'm going to be right there for you. In fact, he used to have a saying, he said, because son, always remember, you can come back from the hospital. I mean, you can come back from jail, but you can't come back from the morgue. 
But you know what he would also say? He said, but if I find out you're out there robbing and stealing and hurting people to try to get something that doesn't belong to you, don't even call me. Now, I don't know whether he meant that or not, but I tell you what, he put the fear of God in me. He said, don't even call me. He said, because that's beneath you and I'm not going to respond to that. Said, so you want to be around me, you stay out here where I am and you do what I do. You see me breaking the law, you see me running around and doing criminal things, well then don't you do it either. My father never taught me the cops are out to get you. He taught me you behave yourself and you treat others with respect and you respect the property of others and you won't have the problems that some people have. And I didn't. Amen. Here again, as a black man in America, I'm not allowed to say that because well, now, wait a minute. Are you saying black men are never abused by the cops? I can't speak for all black men. I can only speak for me. But I know one thing. If you are not out there doing what you've got no business doing, the likelihood of your having a problem with cops drops to virtually zero. Now, look, I, 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 and I don't in any way uh, want anybody to lose their lives. But, but let's face it. Rayshard Brooks had a history of problems, a history of problems. And we and, and nobody wants to say this either. If he had simply submitted to the arrest, he'd have gone home that following morning. Amen. Not allowed to say that. But you, you instead, you want to send the message out. This idiot at CNN sent out. Well, he fought because we've learned that if you don't fight the cops, you die. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. Yep. It's exactly the opposite. Yep. If you treat the police with respect and you comply, you are going to be fine in almost all cases. Amen. But if you decide you're going to fight cops, don't expect things to end well for you. Amen. Don't expect, I mean, that, that, that's, just, that's just crazy. But you see, when, when, when the relationship with Father God is broken, and then add to the relationship with your father, your earthly father is broken, where's the order? Where's the sense of decency? Where's the respect for authority going to come from? And by the way, God bless all the single mothers out there who have raised good children. But it, look, it's an uphill battle. It's an uphill battle. And God bless them for having done so, for having worked hard and, and been father and mother. I understand that because my father used to say, I've got to be father and mother to you. So I, I, I understand that perfectly. I'm not taking anything away from them. But that's not God's best. That's not, God how, that's not how God designed things to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, so we get the, the, the crazy, lawless stuff that we see happening right now. For example, in the autonomous zone of Seattle, of course, it's a no-cop zone, right? Cops aren't allowed. What? You know, cops aren't allowed. By the way, I don't know whether you all are aware of this, but this is true. This is the way the autonomous zone operates. Only Native American, black, and trans women may be in authority. Yes. Only Native Americans, blacks, and trans women may be in authority. Whites may serve and perform rituals of atonement. And you've got corporations giving money to Black Lives Matter. What is wrong with them? What is wrong with people? I mean, well, they're trying to rip the country apart. 
And, and look, I've told you all, this stuff is much more like a cult than it is a political movement. It's like a, a devilish cult that's got in the minds of people. And check this out. In Seattle, they've got something called a agricultural project in one of their parks, and they got a big sign up in front of it saying, this garden is for black and indigenous folks only. White people may work in it, but they may not eat of it. I, I thought that that's what we had fought to end. And instead, what we're seeing is the reverse. But here again, see, that's the devil. That's the devil. And I've said the same thing. And, and, and look, I don't know how the jury is going to find in the case of this officer Garnett, but this man was charged with felony murder. That's the same charge you bring against somebody who goes to rob a gas station and kill somebody, goes to rob a bank and kill somebody, goes to carjack and kill somebody. You charge them with felony murder, meaning that they might not have intended to kill, but since they were committing a felony and they kill someone in the process, they're charged with felony murder and felony murder carries the death penalty. And that's what Garnett was charged with. Felony murder. They said, we're not going to seek the death penalty, but he could spend life in prison without the possibility of parole. He didn't, he didn't go there looking for trouble. He went there at the dispatcher's call. And for a long time, it seemed to go fine. And things did not go south until Rayshard Brooks began to fight and resist arrest. And, and, and the prosecutor, when he made the presentation, acted like that never happened. He said Rayshard was cooperative and quote unquote jovial. And, and you know what I've said, and I'll, I'll say it here because I think it needs to be said. To me, it's nothing but politics and payback. Politics and payback. You did it to us, now we're going to do it to you. you think God's going to smile on that? God's going to bless that? But this is what happens when people reject the authority of Father God. See, the same Father God who made me made you. Whatever the color of your skin, whatever your background, he made you and loves you. How in the, who do I think I am to say, well, you're less than I am because of the pigment in your skin or the melanin in your skin or whatever. I mean, that, that's, and yet even the church is buying into this stuff. You know, and the thing is, just like on, in the autonomous zone, you know, they've been saying, we're down with the borders and open borders, but they've got borders in the autonomous zone. And, and, and we, we got too many guns, but the guards have guns in the autonomous zone, which, which proves the point that the revolution, particularly this Marxist stuff that they're trying to sell us, always gives you something worse than what they claim they're liberating you from. Because what I want to know is, well, who elected you? Nobody. <laughs> they appointed themselves because they had the guns. They said they got a warlord there who's passing judgment on everybody. And you all probably saw this craziness. All the white people here give $10 to any black person you can find. Well, first of all, I wouldn't be involved in any mess like that anyway. But, but if you're stupid enough to be involved, you ought to be smart enough to realize, what's $10 going to do? I mean, what? Uh, to me... <laughs> I'm thinking, now, you know, if you really want to be bold, I said, if you want to follow your revolution to its logical conclusion, what you ought to say, bring your deeds to your houses and bring your, your uh, 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 um, uh, the ownership of your cars 
and I want you all to sign those over to your victims, but you keep paying the bills. Because after all, that's the least you can do. I wonder how many people would still be left there. Well, maybe the people, they don't have any houses, or so it may, it may not be an issue. But I mean, this, this is just, this is insanity. Oh, and by the way, they said, you know, they're taking it back because after all, we stole it from the Native Americans in the first place.